Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. You've called us out of that darkness into your wonderful light. Into, from that confusion, you have called us into your order. From that kingdom of chaos, you've called us into the kingdom of light and of your son, Jesus Christ where we can experience joy, peace, and your right order, righteousness in all things. So we pray, Lord, that this small gathering that's taking place for the first time tonight, Lord, um, would be a gathering of those called to change the world. We're not wasting time. We don't have enough time left. And you said the days are evil. We must redeem the time. So help us, Lord, understand your ways and hear your voice and have our heart beat loud with the passion and the fury to serve a glorious God and King who gave His life for us and is about to come back and receive us to Himself. Make that real through your Spirit. Make our heart thrive on forsaking all things and following Him who is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And so we pray that tonight's word would be the beginning of a new walk in your purposes as we purpose to start all over from ground zero and understand what a world-changing church 101 is, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says amen. So we need to understand that this gathering that is taking place tonight is just that, a gathering of those that are members of the household of God. We sit here tonight because God has called us. That's what the word church means. Those called out of the world into the purposes of God. So that's what makes you the church. That you heard God's voice calling you out of the world and in, listen to me, to his church. Into his mystical body. And so for that purpose, we'll start in Hebrews 10 verse 21. And it says that it is all, the purpose of the church is founded For one purpose. It's not so you can have a Bible study. It's not so you can learn some theology or doctrine. No, the purpose of the church is because there's a high priest sitting over this house. Jesus Christ is the one that brought the church into existence for specific purpose. For specific identity. And so since there is a Jesus Christ who came to this earth... He has brought into existence His people that He has called out of darkness. And it's a gathering of those who have heard the voice of the Lord. Now God is calling everybody at all times. He's calling out to the world, telling them to repent and to turn. And those who listen will be able to walk in this direction. Some of us listened 30 years ago. Some of us listened this afternoon as we were invited to come to church tonight. But you're listening to Christ and His message allows you to come here and and understand this. I am not and no man is sitting over the church. The boss, the overseer, the chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. He's the one that founded His church. He's the one that established the church. Uh, Anybody who has a short vision and could only see the guy in the front door greeting and he didn't smile, so now I, I won't come back to this church. Listen to me. Understand that somebody that sits over this church, a little bit higher in authority and in stature named Jesus Christ, is greatly smiling that you're in the house of the Lord tonight. And he, he, 
He's overwhelmed with pleasure that you would be in the house of the Lord. So it says, since we have a wonderful high priest who governs over the house of God, Hebrews 10.21, because this is the reality, verse 22, it says, let us all, let us draw near with a sincere heart, being genuine, understanding that there is a full conviction of faith because our hearts have been cleansed uh, and we're no longer walking in contaminated thoughts, but we have a clean conscience. And it says that our conscience and our bodies have been washed and purified. Let us come near. And so why do we come near? Why does God want to call us? This gathering is a gathering of the call. That's what church means. Verse 23. Let us hold on. There's going to be, it's going to be a bumpy road. The devil doesn't want you on God's game plan. He'll allow you to be successful in all things but the church. And that's where we understand that everything outside of the church, everything outside of the church is called a para-church ministry. And in that realm, there is Campus Crusade, there's the Full Gospel Businessmen, there's the Aglo, there's the uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM. There's all sorts of entities that are power church. They're helping the church, but they're outside of the church. And God hasn't called us to be parasites. He's called us to be church that He built for His glory, with His fruitfulness. Yeah, you could be fruitful in many things, but God has called you to be fruitful in in making sure the church arises, that the gathering of the saints is that bride of Christ without spot, without wrinkle, in maturity, in in all of its facets of maturity. And many people would rather um, not deal with the church and start a ministry that doesn't involve the church. So here it says, let us hold fast and retain without wavering the hope we cherish and our confession that we acknowledge for he who promised is reliable and faithful to his word. He who promised is faithful to do what he said. At the end of my book, Restoring the Gates, I say for all those cynical, skeptics, unbelieving Christians who think that the church is a waste of time, that think the church is a failure, because at the end of the day, we can't get along with our own wives. We can't get along with our own children. Who would ever think we could get along with each other? Well, my Bible says that the bride will prepare herself and she'll be ready and her robes will be righteous and white linen the righteous acts of the saints. So it takes a while for us to understand that the church is going to happen because faithful is Jesus who called her. He's not playing games. So verse 24, let us consider, let us reflect. Has God called us to be part of the church? Then are you stimulating? Are you stirring up the church for good works? To walk in love. No, I'm doing the opposite. I'm discouraging everybody I run into and I hate everyone. Listen, if we're holding on, let's consider why we are here. And we should be encouraging those. You know, some some people want to come in here and they want to sin and they want to get encouraged for their backsliding. They want to be, hey, you know something? I noticed that you've become mediocre, man. More power to you. No! No! 
We're to stir one another up for good works. We're to encourage each other in love. And the Bible says this is how we know we love one another because we keep His commandments. We, we walk according to his, his call. So there it goes, why we're supposed to be here, what is supposed to be going on. I hope there's not one day that you come to church where you don't look over to somebody and love on them. And the, the, the Bible says there is no greater love than a man would serve his friend. That he would lay down his life for a friend. That you would do something for someone. That's the greatest sign of love. And so you come in here stirred up to serve. Stirred up to do something for someone. And then encouragement. Allowing them to, to leave here saying, you know something, I appreciate that. The most powerful form of encouragement is asking somebody, come here, let me pray for you. It's the most powerful form of encouragement. Praying for someone. Because you know something, when you pray for someone, when they leave, they leave with the power of God. They might not have anybody in their life, but when you pray for them, they feel like they've been lifted up. So stir one another up in love and in good works, helpful deeds. So now we know why we're here. We know how we're sp- where we're supposed to stay. We know what we're supposed to be doing. And then verse 25, what is the usual backsliding of God's people? Forsaking, showing up. Not knowing that there's a high priest, that we're serving him, knowing that we're here because he's ordained us, knowing what we've been called to do, he says, make sure you don't stop coming together. You know something, this thing about coming together, some people don't get it, but Jesus commanded that you come together. It wasn't one of the ten suggestions, it was one of the ten commandments. That you would keep the Sabbath day holy. That you would keep that day for the Lord and come together with His body to worship and to praise Him. So it says, not forgetting the gathering of one another. And, and they, listen to me, it's, it's a little bit more intense than showing up at your bowling club at the bowling alley. That's not the gathering together of His people. The gathering together of the people of God is family. It's a, it's a tighter-knit responsibility. And, and some people don't even get at that level. I was just talking to a man a couple of days ago, and I said, look, if the church, Spring of Life, was City Hall, you would be an excellent member of City Hall. Because you show up on time, you do all types of excellence, you serve well, you're fast, you leave. But when you go home, Nothing at home reflects the reality of what you do at church. And church is not some place where you go to act like a Christian. Church is that when you go home, that is where the reality of the character of the church is revealed because you're serving your wife, your husband, your children, and the character of Christ is there at home. I hope you don't come to church to serve here for what you don't do at home. That's not the church. So the gathering together of the assembly of these people is is something that is necessary. It's mandated. And it says we should be admonishing. Hey, buddy, what happened? Where were you? We should be calling each other's attention. Look what it says. Not leaving the gathering. Like some have already made a customary, a manner. Say, calling each other, warning each other more and more as you see the day of Jesus' return. 
Is there something that, that concerns his return and coming to church? Does anybody know? Is there something related with the fact that Jesus is coming and you're not showing up at church? Why do you think they're warning people? Hey, buddy, Jesus is about to come back and you're nowhere to be found. So there can't be an expectation that Jesus is going to come for you when you are doing something more important than being where he wants and he's worthy of you being. And then some people don't get it at that point, but in verse 26, I hope you get it now. For if we sin willfully, what's it talking about? It talks about our participation with church. It's not talking about here committing adultery. It's not talking about stealing. He's talking in the, in the relationship of what's coming down in this chapter, relating one thing to the other, one thing to the other, and getting to the point. Hey, buddy, if you're doing your rebellion, your disobedient, your disconnect willfully, then understand this. There's nothing else to do for you except... Verse 27, there's nothing left but a certain, listen, a real fearful expectation of judgment and consequences, fiery indignation that will devour those that were not on God's team. We haven't heard a message like this in a while, and I thank God for it. I want to hear everything I need to hear on this side of eternity and not when I stand before Jesus. I want to get ready to be to receive my king and to be a servant that needs not to be ashamed of anything that I'm doing because I'm actually living like his instructions have told me. So we see from the beginning, God has always been a God that desires his people to come before him and to offer him what they have and what they do just to show forth his worth, his worthiness, his holiness, his power. Deuteronomy 4.10 says like this, and these, these were continually told to God's people. Make sure that you assemble yourselves. Make sure you guys gather together. Um, we're reading Deuteronomy 4.10. He says, make sure that you're doing this. Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words. Who are hearing God's words tonight? Amen. Those that are gathered. And the purpose of gathering is that you might hear, not my words. I'm trying to express his words. Um, a little bit, the voice is wasted. Uh, but, but listen to what God is saying. Ask the Spirit of God to give you conviction as to what is going on. Gather my people that they would hear my words. That they might learn to love on me. That they might learn to fear me. They might learn that this is no game. This is serious business. All the days while they're upon the earth so that they might teach their children also. We make a custom for our children not to come to the house of God and when they grow up, they don't show up. What a mystery. Well, they're only going to do that which they're trained to do. And they get to do everything except be faithful to the Lord's house. Every time the gym is open, they're there. Every time the basketball court is open, they're there. But every time church service is going on, they have to find something other than the church service to do. And so don't expect your children to grow up going to church if you haven't given them that reality. And I thank God my parents uh, forced us to come to church and, and asked us, you know, that that's where we needed to be when the church was open. And uh, praise God for that. 
And we learn and we grow up in that. Uh, Our children are also learning in that reality. Uh, So we ask God, God, what are you doing here? What, What are we supposed to be doing in the church? We're teaching. We're learning. We should learn. We should study. The whole purpose of being the church is so, listen to this, ready? So we could instruct the nations. This afternoon I was talking to three men who came here and they're like, I don't know why nothing's going well with me. I'll tell you why. Because there's a God in the heavens and he desires for you to lift up your head and recognize him and serve him and worship him because everything that you have is from him. I guarantee you that if, if something were to happen, you'd make a million dollars. You'd fly to Vegas. You'd fly to, to some exotic island out in the middle of the Caribbean. And so our prosperity is never for blessing because we begin to cheat on our wives, we begin to cheat on our taxes, we begin to become thieves and greedy and leave and lazy. And so we got to be careful when we ask God to prosper us. Um, We always see that God is calling his people to gather. We see that, and I want to speak about this because I think, you know, we're first generation Christians. We don't understand that there's something tied to the gathering and the temple of God and and the the hearing the word of God and the instruction of the Lord that it's tied to our prosperity. Listen to me. We're not wasting time here tonight. As we listen to God and obey, the Bible says, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God day and night. For he shall be like a tree planted next to the rivers of water, in Psalm 1. Everything he does shall prosper. The tree will not wither and the leaf shall not fail, shall not fall. There's prosperity when you get the word of God going through your system in the decisions you make on a daily basis. I, I I wonder what would be the gathered fortunes of those for the last 10 years who have lost their fortunes because they did not listen to God. They just lost monies, they've lost houses, they've lost mortgages, they've lost all sorts of stuff only because they violated the principles in the word of God. And so we have to listen to God. In Philippians 1.25, this is what Paul says is one of the purposes of coming to church. One of the rewards from coming and, and seeking the Lord. Listen what he says, Philippians 1.25. I'm convinced of this. I know I'm going to hang in there. I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your, to, to help your progress and to fill me with joy. Those are the two things that should be happening. A lot of people come to church and when I've invited them, I said, hey, you coming to church tonight? They're members of this church. I says, no, nah, I really don't need it. That's the most selfish answer I've ever seen. How about the people that are there that are coming that need a hug? How about the people that come and need a handshake? How about the children that come and need help on their homework? How about an embrace? How about a prayer? How about coming to church where you're not thinking about yourself? And so we need to understand that Paul was saying, I'm confident that I will remain in these matters because I am coming looking for the interest of others and that fills me with joy. I'm not coming for me. I'm not hanging in there solely for my existence. So we see that the progression of this happens. Now, in the last days, uh, something's going to be happening. In 1 Timothy 4.1, it says that the Holy Spirit is talking about those that will be seduced into a form of worship that is not tied with God. And yesterday, a woman came to see me, and she says, I want to do a ministry fair, but my pastor said no, so I left the church. And I'm like, how does that have to do with God? 
I thought that the whole purpose of being part of the church is working as the church and seeing things happen as God would see them in his order. And I said, listen, you need to work as the body of Christ. She says, I don't care about that. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested that I'm going to do what some prophet or apostle told me. And so I was, I was kind of weary with that. And I said, well, I just pray that one day you'll be able to understand what the church is. And the church is those who gather in his name, Matthew 18, 20. Wherever two or more gather in his name, Jesus is there. Wherever there's a gathering of his people, he's there. He's told us this many times. He says there's a strength in numbers. It's good for you to lay down your life for others so that when you fall, someone else picks you up. When you are uh, discouraged, somebody encourages you. There's people that call me all the time and says, Pastor, I left the church. Why'd you leave? Because nobody brought me soup when I was sick. I said, well, who do you bring soup when they're sick? No one. Who do you visit when they're in the hospital? No one. So if you didn't sow anything, why are you expecting anything in return? The Bible says that in order to receive the, the cherishing love of a friend, is you've got to be friendly. You've got to sow things. And he wants us to be together. And in that gathering, there's going to be untold blessing. A lady called last week, says, I'm looking for a job. I said, lady, if you come to church, I'm sure somebody in the church family will be able to offer you a job. She says, I'm not interested in the family. I just need a job. And I said, somebody selfish like you is going to receive nothing from no one. And we, in the last couple of years, we've given away about five cars. We've given away, there's been jobs handed out uh, hand and foot in this place. The goodness of God reaches all those that are under his covering, under his cloud. Psalm 133 verse 1 says like this, How incredibly awesome, how pleasant and pleasurable it is when people come together and they dwell in unity. Yesterday I was accused, Pastor, you must do that because all the money you make. Oh yeah, I'm really swimming in money. No, I'm not. I love the fellowship of the people of God. You couldn't buy that with a million dollars. And so how good and blessed it is for us to have a place to dwell together. And the people who do not cherish this place, the gathering of God's people anywhere, are going to find themselves with a little tour out in the desert. They're going to find themselves in the wilderness. The Bible says that those who wander from the congregation of, of understanding will find themselves gathered and surrounded by dead people on every side. And so this is a place of livelihood. And he says it's there that God pours out his blessing. Where there's a gathering in unity, God begins to pour out something special from the heavens. I, I know that every time we come to this place, whether it's the word of God, whether it's a song, whether it's something that God does, there's something being poured out for my prosperity, for my blessing, for my health. God is pouring out something from the heavens. It's like the dew Verse 3, well, Psalm 133, uh, Psalm 133, 3. It's like something that, that just comes, you know, from on high over us. It's there in that gathering that God has commanded the blessing of God and, and an abundant measure of this life. It's so sad that we don't understand the full capacity of what God has done. Uh, but I want to tell you that... If you've never had the church pray for you, you are seriously deficient and lacking and empty in the filling of God. Acts 12.5 says that Peter was there in prison, but prayer was being made for him without ceasing by the church that was thinking about him. 
This morning I was having breakfast with a gentleman and he says, three of my buddies, we wake up every morning and we call ourselves on the phone. We have a one hour time frame before we get to work. And three of us on the speakerphone will get on there and begin to pray for the church. They will pray for families. They will pray for marriages. They pray for finances. They pray for health. They pray for uh, uh, heart conditions. They're just praying for all these things. And I said, that's the church. The church is a place lifting up our families. And I thank God for the prayers of the saints. They come up before the throne of God as sweet-smelling fragrance that God answers. And we've seen the glory of God in this place when the church gathers together to make intercession for, the, for those that, that need prayer and are part of the church. When you're not part of the church, three businessmen came over today and they said, we want, we've lost everything in our lives, so we put all our fortunes together and we're going forward. I said, hey, come here, come here. Let me pray for you guys because without prayer, you're going nowhere. There's a God in the heavens and He wants to bless you and He'll bless you when the church prays. And the Bible says that we're to pray once a week, right? Once a day. Every afternoon. Without ceasing. The real church is praying all day. Lord, have mercy on that man. Lord, have mercy on that woman. Lord, bless that person. We're interceding and praying. That's what the church does. It prays. And a church that doesn't pray is not a church. It's not necessarily uh, having to come to a particular prayer service. That's great. That's a blessing. But we're praying without ceasing. We're making intercession for the saints. We're praying for every single person in every single situation. Because God taught us how to pray by coming to church. Some people don't know how to pray to God. They don't know how to call upon His name. And so we're going fast here because I don't have much time. And um, we need to understand that that we're first generation people of God. I don't know about you, but I didn't learn about church till I was right about getting into college. I was in, at the end of my high school years. And, and I, I wasn't born in the house of God. And I, I didn't know what the church was. I participated in some religion, going to temple or going to some sanctuary. But that wasn't the church. I learned what the church was when I read the Bible. He added to the church daily those that would be saved. He filled them with their spirit. They walked in the supernatural. They walked in signs and wonders. And so that's what the church is all about. A place of reading the word of God. A place of learning. A place of praying. A place of, uh, the Bible says that in Ephesians 5.19, when you guys come together, make sure you guys sing songs. I don't like songs. I don't like the, the instruments. Listen to me. Then you're not part of the church. Because the church is going to sing song. It's going to make a melody in their hearts to the Lord. We're going to sing all night long. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God abide richly with wisdom and teaching and encouraging, but also, uh, I didn't give you that, Colossians 3.16. It says, not only teaching, not only preaching, not only wisdom, but in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Some of you get here after the song service, miserable, miserable. You got to get here before and get that first song. I'm back there in my office and I'm singing it with, uh, with the leaders and, and I'm singing to the Lord. That's what the church is all about. And so this place of altar, this is, this is a holy place. This is a place that we treat common and it's sad because this is where his ears are inclined to listen to his people in the house of God. It's a special place that he prepared for those that would come and call upon him. 
And I'm reminded about uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. This is Solomon. I'm going to go real quick now. 2 Chronicles 1, Solomon. Remember the, the sons, they, they have to learn how to do things. They have to start all over sometimes. They, they, many times they, they didn't pay attention when they had their dad around. And Solomon is the son of David. And he was growing strong in the kingdom God had given him. And the Bible says that the Lord, his God, was with him. And because God was with him, he prospered. I, I hope you don't think you're going to prosper without God. I hope you haven't taught your kids if they're good accountants and good doctors and good businessmen, they'll be exalted. They won't. Exaltation comes from the Lord. Comes from a faithful God. To those who faithfully serve Him. Those who honor Him. Those who walk before Him in righteousness. So we go on. And he was there learning these ways. And Solomon spoke to all of Israel. You know who he spoke to? He didn't speak to any idiots. He didn't speak to foolish people. Solomon spoke to captains. He spoke to judges. He spoke to leaders. And he spoke to men that were willing to lead their families. If you're not in one of these categories, you're not to be spoken to. You're not worthy to be spoken to unless you're in a place of receiving that. And he he was able to, to speak to them. And look why he spoke to the wise and to the leaders. Because they listened. Why, why spend your time speaking to people who don't listen? I've kicked them out of my office. There's a guy come last year and he spent two hours of my time and then disappeared. He comes back a year later. He says, Pastor, I want to talk to you. Not a syllable. Not, not an not a utterance out of your voice, my friend. You wasted my time last year. You're not going to speak one word until I see you start walking in what we talked about. So we're done with foolishness. And so Solomon spoke to these leaders, and the verse 3 says, they went up with him. All of the assembly were went with him to a higher place. Oh God, let us have that reality to speak to wise people to go to higher places. Ask God, Lord, give me a team that we could change the world. Give me people that want to go higher and not just be here to be blessed. These people went a high place to gather with God. And they were there at that meeting with God was showed up. Every time we gather, God will show up. He's here tonight. And as Moses had taught the people. And so Solomon is trekking along this reality. Going up to the high place to be before God and God was there. And David had done his best. And I'm telling you what, we haven't seen the glory of God yet. Maybe our sons will rise up and and do greater things. But David did what he can with what he had. And it was just a small little tent. He did the best he could with what he had. We've done the best we could with what we've had. In verse 5 it says that there, before the tabernacle of the Lord, Solomon and the assembly were seeking God. This is what's supposed to be happening when we come here. There's a lot of stuff, we got a lot of business, we got a lot of responsibilities, but why we come here is to seek God. I don't want to be doing anything but what God wants. I want to I know what He wants and I want to do that, because that's what He's going to ask me for. So when Solomon engages and gets God's attention, how does he do this? Verse 6, listen to what he does. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord, which is in the gathering of the meetings, and he brought a huge offering. How many know that God knows when you're serious? Listen, when I read this verse, I, I see a guy who's sitting there saying, listen, I'm not playing games. 
I'm not going to come here to just give a little bit of my time. You know when you, when you t- tip cheap and you give somebody a couple coins and you're not making any influence. You're not getting their attention. You're like, I hope this person doesn't come back. And see, sometimes God feels that way. What you're giving God is a joke. You give more of your time to other things. And he knows that. And the word worthy means the weight of what you give. He knows what we're giving to him. And David would be a man that would say, I will give nothing that doesn't cost me. And you think that serving God is going to get in your schedule a little bit? Yes. You're not to accommodate God somewhere in your leftover time, in your free time. No, he went there and he was conducting business. He said, God, I want your attention. And God says like this in Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. You will call upon me and you will pray and I will hear you when you seek me with all your heart. You're not going to just stand here real quick and say, hurry up, I got to get to bed early. Seeking God is tears, it's groaning, it's pursuing him. And when he sees that you are desperate for him, then he shows up. And that night, verse 7, because he brought the full weight of serious devotion and consecration and offering to God. I love this verse. Verse 7, we're going back to 2 Chronicles 1.7. That night God appeared to Solomon and he said, Ask what you want because I'm listening. What's going on? I'm taking your order. And that's what God wants to do. Ask what you want. And the glorious thing about going to meet with God in the house of God and engaging with the seriousness to get God's attention. And remember that faithfulness is the hallmark of that which pleases God. His faith, your faithfulness to Him allows Him to say, hey, ask what you will. What's going on? You take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. That's the God we serve. And so that God answered him and said, brother... Here it goes. God answers him. And he begins to ask God. And all of a sudden he turns to the task. And it says in verse 13 that Solomon came from the high place, from the house of God before the tent of the meeting in Jerusalem. And he began to take authority. And he began to build uh, chapter 2. Solomon determined, this is what I want to invest my time with somebody like God who engages and, and he's able to respond, I will build him a house. Second Chronicles 2.1 Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of God. I, I, you know, this is not us. This thing about church is, is not something that, that is, is the invention of man. This is what God desires. I said, God, what do you want? He says, I want you to change the world. How do you want me to change the world? I want you to help build my church. I want you to engage in my work upon the earth. Because I was fed up already with everything God had given me at large measures. So I said, now, God, I'm not going to ask you for anything more because you've way surpassed everything I dreamed. I'm living a dream. What do you want? He says, I want people that will build a glorious church that will be faithful to serve me in the house of God, that will love those who cannot be loved and teach those who are not taught. And so this, this task, and I'm going to finish here now. Listen what his attitude is. 
In verse 4, he says, I'm about to build God a house. I'm about to build a place of celebration for my God. Every time people come there, they're going to know. They're going to know who I serve. Verse 5, the house which I am to build is a gloriously great house for our God is greater than any God. Our God deserves the best. I can't stand to see Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons serving better than what Christians serve their God. If they're f- serving a false God, how should we not be serving God with glorious passion? So he says, I'm going to build the best for God. Verse 6, he's, he touches with reality. He says, I know God's not going to come and live in this place. And we know God's not going to come and, and live in this place. He doesn't fit here. He says, who is able to build him a temple since the heavens cannot contain him? Who then am I? Should I build him a temple except that I want a place where I could show my appreciation? Where I could come and, and say, God, I love you and thank you and show you that, that you're worthy for me to serve you. That's what he was trying to do. He says, I know I can't build a, a place for God and, and this place would be too cheap for God. But guess what? It's the best we have. And so we bring our appreciation and our gratefulness to this place. Verse 7, he says, so now therefore, send skillful workers. Listen to me. This is not the place to send people that are incompetent and stupid. These are people that are wise and brilliant. The best for God. And we, we were all foolish, the Bible says. But he who lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And God will fill you with glory. There's not to be one incompetent in here, in the house of God, dropping the ball, fumbling, trading, giving, uh, feeding the wolves, the sheep. It's not to be in the house of God. Skillful workers, those that are able to work with all types of substance, verse 14. Trained workers that work with gold, silver, and bronze, iron, stone, wood. All sorts of substance God will bring into this house and will be expert to prepare them for the glory of God. Skilled workers, trained workers. There's nothing like an incompetent laborer. God is not going to entrust them to anything. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Solomon began to build the house. And you'll see as he goes building this thing, he makes the best of the best with everything that's at his disposition. In verse Chapter uh, 4, verse 18, Solomon made all things in such great numbers that the weight of the bronze was not being able to, to tell. The weight of bronze speaks of honor. What gives things weight is the honor they have. If a little trial comes by and the thing takes off, has no weight, has no honor, has no, no reality to it. So he used those things with the great abundance of weight that couldn't even be told. Super honorable. Chapter 5, verse 1, 2 Chronicles. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. Done. Whatever you start, you finish. You don't leave it halfway. You get busy. Everything he wanted to do for God, he did. Everything you want to do for God, you do. And let's stand tonight as I finish. And we say that it was there in chapter 7 that he said, Lord, now that all the work is done, I'm, I'm sorry, it's chapter 5, verse 12, that he brought all the worshipers, all the singers, all the musicians, and they began to sing and to praise with the voice of trumpets. Verse 13, it says that they sing, He's a good, He's a merciful, He's a loving God forever. And the house of God was filled with His presence. The glory of God was seen. 
In chapter 6, verse 2, he says, I have built a house for God. And he turned to the people and he blessed them. He, he turned to the assembly, to those that were gathered, and it was to them he blessed. And they all stood. That's why we're standing tonight. And he said, Lord, look at these people. There's no other people in the world that have more of a privilege than those who are in the house of God. Those that build these things for the Lord. And the Bible says that he stood there before the assembly in verse 12. We're reading chapter 6, verse 12. And it says that he raised his hands to the heavens. He spread forth his hands. You talk to God in this place, you lift up your hands. You say, hey, a radar connection here. I want my satellite to be connected. I want God to know I'm talking to him. I don't have my hands in my pockets when I'm supposed to be spreading them up in the air towards heaven. Chapter 6, verse 13. He knelt down on his knees before all the assembly. Sometimes we kneel down and we seek the face of God. And we spread forth our hands to the heavens. We're doing all the things that his people have. And so it's very important. In verse 20, he says, your eyes look towards this house all the time. This place which you have made. And you've put your name here. This, is, this represents Christ. It doesn't represent man. And you listen to our prayers and you heed. And you from heaven answer. Verse 23. You hear from the heavens and you bring results to those of us that are your servants. And you keep the wicked by bringing his own conduct upon his head. Those that do not stand right in this place, they don't last very long in this place. Not because of me, because of God. And so he says like this in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, the Lord responds and he says, always that my people gather. Those people, we're reading 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If these people who are called by my name, we started like that at the beginning. If they walk humbly before me, and they humble themselves and pray and they seek me passionately and crave for me and require of my need in their life, my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I'm going to prosper their land. I'm going to heal everything. Father, we give you thanks tonight for this word. We give you thanks that you want to call a people to represent you in these matters taking the things of God serious in this generation, being faithful in the service and the work of your, in your house, O oh God. Yeah, we're busy with many things, but this is, these are the most excellent things because they're eternal. They last forever. They won't, their glory will not fade. Help us to be diligent in these matters. Help us to walk worthy of the call to serve you, a high priest over your house, O oh God. And we give you thanks, and the house of God says, Amen. God bless you.